As you get your Bibles open, I think you're already there. I, I have to take the advantage tonight of the passing into eternity and graduation of my grandma Monday night to preach on leaving a godly inheritance. I have to take advantage of this. I'm so blessed and so thankful to have a heritage like I do. Now, when I talk about this and I talk about a heritage, I want you to listen real carefully because sometimes I feel like when I say that, there's a, almost a resistance because some people say, well, I wish I had that. Or I don't have that. Or here we go again. But here's the cool thing. I want to talk about this tonight because I want you to know that you can start a godly inheritance. You can start a godly inheritance. Somebody has to start it. Now, we were wrong on our numbers last week when we talked about my mom's sisters and the four sisters together. There was 205 years of marriage together between four couples. That's a lot. That's an average of over 50 years. That's rare today. Telling one of my friends about that today, he said, that's how it's supposed to be. That's what he said. He said, that's how it's supposed to be. Now, that's not to make someone who's been divorced or, or anything like that feel bad. But how many know that's still how it's supposed to be? You're supposed to stay married. Amen. So it's not a condemnation, but it's saying, hey, I'd love to someday, if the Lord tarries, pass that inheritance down to my kids. Now, so many, many of you come from broken homes. Many of you come from torn homes. You come from that where it's, you don't have that godly heritage that I have, but you can start that godly heritage tonight. Amen. And that's what I want to challenge you on. And I want you to realize that it's God's will for you to have that. We'll be having the funeral for my grandma on Saturday. It's my dad's mom. She was 92 years old. She lived a wonderful life. That's a long life. Amen. And only to the last couple of years, mentally, was she not where she was for most of her life. But she was very healthy. And she fought till the end. But it was got time to go home. Amen. And graduate. So it's going to be a celebration. But I think about the, what my grandmother left. What my grandfather left. What my other grandparents left. Of all these marriages. They did something right for all these marriages to stay together. And, and, and so I, wanna, I want you to think about that tonight. If you're part of a godly heritage, then you make the choice and say, God, I'm going to continue this heritage. I'm going to pass it down to my kids. And someday when I grow old, like I said, Jesus tarries, they'll be talking about me like they're talking about my grandma tonight. That's the, that's the key. That's, the, that's the, the, the goal for us tonight. And then if you haven't, then you say, okay, I know that I'm doing something here. Me coming to church like I am is doing something. Let's look what 2 Timothy chapter 1 says. It's not an accident in verse 1 that Paul is writing and he mentions what he mentions. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of a life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Now we know he was not his physical son, but he was his spiritual son. And let me stop there real quick. Here's another great thing about church. If you come from a broken home like many do, you can get a spiritual father. You can get a spiritual mother. You can have a spiritual brother and a spiritual sister and a spiritual daughter and a spiritual son. We've got to realize that that's the great dynamic of church. Is that if our own physical family is not that ideal, wonderful family that we wish we had, God's family can be that tonight. Amen? And we see that in the Word of God. So he says... Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, watch this, as my forefathers did. 
as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance, watch this, the genuine faith that is in you. Stop right there for a second. When I call to remembrance, the genuine faith that is in you. Tonight, everything you do, whether you're young, medium, or old, you are building a foundation for what people say about you. Before I continue to read, I want to remind you that we do not want to live a life in such a way that the pastor will have to lie about us at our funeral to say something nice. Come on. We want to live a life that when that pastor gets up and when the family members talk, I've been in some funerals that was not that way. It's the most awkward. It's bad enough they're dead. It's bad enough they're not saved. But then no one has anything good to say about them. And as a pastor, you have to watch your words because you can't lie. You got to try to find some way of comforting these people. And it seems like sometimes they don't even want to be comforted. They hate the person. Sad thing, but it's true. Maybe you've been in a funeral like that. I want to be, at a, when, I, when we're at this thing Saturday, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a, a nothing but good words. It's going to be nothing but tears of joy. It's going to be nothing but talking about the greatness of this woman of God. For her entire life, lived for God. Probably over, I don't know what age she got saved at, but sick, huh? 19, so over 70 years. Of serving God. Amen. And so he's saying here that when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that means that somebody should be able to, you should, so your name should be spoken and they shouldn't have to go, give me a few minutes. Let me see if I can figure out something good about this person. Come on, how many know what I'm saying? How many have heard a name before of someone, let's, let's just go positive, let's not go negative, of someone positive before, and just thing after thing just begins to pop into your mind of the wonderful person that they were. Man, they were this, and man, they were that. I've seen so many posts and comments about my grandma, all the way back to Tucson, people that I didn't really, really realize, really knew her as well as we did, but they just nothing but good about her. That's what you want. He says that they would talk with you about genuine faith that is in you. Then it says, go with me in verse 5, which dwelt first, watch this, in your grandma Lois, which happens to be my grandma's name, not my mammal that just passed away, but my mom and Aunt Vicky's mom, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So Timothy is setting this up and he's saying, hey, the faith that you have started with your grandma. Your grandma passed it on to her daughter, and now she's passing it on to you. And he's saying there's something powerful about this legacy and this heritage that you can pass down. And he's saying, I believe now, what he's basically saying is, I believe now you're going to carry the torch. We all know of people who have dropped the ball, who have let the torch die. And people have passed on this good torch. And like I said, I thank God I felt responsible when I began to realize how much heritage, godly heritage, I came from, I said, God, I don't want to let this ball drop. I don't want to let this flame go out. I want to pass this on to my kids. I want them to pass it on to their kids. I want it to keep on going and going and going. Can you say amen? That's what God is calling us to do tonight. 
Then he says in 6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Now quickly, just turn over to chapter 3. This is going to be a good note-taking sermon if you're ready. Hope you got your pens and papers ready. There's going to be some good stuff to go back over. One of those good messages to remind ourselves of how to leave a godly heritage. And then you go over to chapter 3. And you look at verses 14 and 15, and he says, watch this, but you must continue. Say continue. That's consistently. You must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, before I read that, I remember yesterday we went in to see my great uncle, who's 94, and he's now the only living clearman of how many? Of nine brothers and sisters. They all lived a long, long time. And we went in to see him. He's got pneumonia, but he has, the, he has a sharper mind than I do. It's amazing how sharp his mind is. That was the one thing that was a little sad, or really sad, of course, about my mamma and also my grandfather on my mom's side, that they had Alzheimer's and dementia. And, you know, when that mind goes, it's hard to, to be able to still deal with that body when their mind's not there. But this guy, Billy, man, his mind is sharper than a two-edged sword. We walked into that place, and as soon as he saw my dad, he began to cry. Knowing his, own, his last sister was gone. But it wasn't tears of, obviously, that, because thank God my grandma led him to the Lord. My grandma made sure he knew Jesus. My grandma led most of her brothers and sisters to Jesus. Some of them on their deathbed. Because my, my grandma was a soul winner. And she owned to make sure that she was going to spend eternity with her brothers and sisters. But I remember as soon as we got in there, he started crying. And he just began to reminisce. He began to talk about the times that they, he, she'd, go to, she'd take him to church. Way back when they were kids. Amen. And so there was a seed planted way, 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 way back of doing right. And we see that here in verse 14. Of knowing whom you have learned. Look at 15. And that... From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to give you a few components tonight for those that are interested. If you're not, you'll just leave the same way you came in and nothing will change. But if you're here tonight and you're interested in leaving a godly heritage, I'm going to give you some good things you can work on. That are very important and some things your kids need. And if you don't have kids yet, then when you do, or if you don't have kids, people around you, brothers, sisters, family, people you can reach out to and touch. And I'm going to give you a few to write down tonight. And number one is a desire to follow Jesus. These are some things that you should have in your life that other people will see. And I believe that every single one of these things I'm going to tell you, I saw in the life of my grandmother. A desire to follow Jesus. Let me read some scriptures. Don't, for time, don't go in the Bible with me, but if you'll just write them down. Deuteronomy 4.29 says this. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. How many believe if you seek God and you have a desire to follow Jesus, if he's, not, he's not trying to get away from you. He's wanting to be found. 
So a desire to follow Jesus is very important. Now watch, you cannot pass on your salvation to anybody. You cannot write in your will the salvation of somebody. You cannot do that. Salvation is personal. It's something you have to get yourself. But watch this, the desire to serve Jesus is contagious. You might be, man, my kids, they're not doing it, man, my kids aren't. Your kids are watching everything you do. Don't worry about how they're acting sometimes. Just get the paddle and spank them. That'll work out. Amen. I just threw that in there, amen? If you don't have one, here's a good model. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord. You cannot pass it on. So listen, the interest in Christ, watch this, comes from watching that he is the center of your life. This isn't talking about someone who's religious and every once in a while mentions Jesus. This is somebody that you know they loved God. There was never a doubt in my mind my entire life that my mamma loved God. There was no, I didn't have to ask. She didn't have to tell. She lived it. Number two. There's some good components of a spiritual heritage. A reverence for God's word. Amen. These are things that we must have ourselves. As we go through these, you listen and you say, oh God, I'm, I'm lacking in that area. Or I'm, I, I could do better in that area. Or I'm not even doing that area. And God will help you. Because I believe every single one of us that are parents especially want to see our kids serve God. Amen. Amen. One of the verses that I don't have in my notes but it's in brain, in, in, in uh, engraved in my mind is Proverbs 22 6 especially with working with kids my entire life that if you will train up a child in the way he should go the Bible says when he's old he will not depart from it that's a promise from God how many like the promises of God amen so a reverence for God here's the verse Isaiah 66 2 I've got a verse for every one of them but on this one I will look. God says, here's the one I look on. On him who is poor and of, not financially, and of contrite spirit and who trembles at his word. Amen. If you want to leave a godly heritage, the people are not just your kids, but the people around you need to see that you have a reverence for the word of God. Amen. You don't take lightly the word of God. It, it means something to you. Amen. And that what that means is that your your family, your kids and those around you are going to see a Bible open at their house, at your house. They're going to see a Bible open at your house. Amen. Not shut with dust on it. Amen. They're going to see a Bible and not the one that weighs 28 pounds. Amen, Brian. And is in the middle of the table and just looks good. Not that Bible. The one you actually pick up and look at. Amen. How many have ever seen that in those houses? Those big, humongous Bibles. And hey, if I have a Bible in my house, it'll help us. That's a good start. But it really helps if you pick it up. And so your family and friends and, and kids need to see that you read the Bible. But they need to see that you apply the Bible. I won't ask anybody to say amen there, but I know there are a lot of people who read the Bible. And you guys, many of you tell me stories. My dad, my mom, boy, they read the Bible. Then they'd shut it and just cuss like a sailor. I mean, they, read. They just read it and read it and read it. Come on, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know there's some people in here who their family members read the Bible religiously. Matter of fact, we might put us to shame, some of us. 
read 10 chapters, 15 chapters, a book a day. They'd read the Bible, but it doesn't do any good to read the Bible if you don't apply the Bible to your life. Can you say amen now? Be sure to give your kids Bibles. One of the greatest joys of my life. Kids back there, I'm going to use this paddle in a second. One of the greatest joys in my life was when my daughters got excited about wanting a Bible. They said, I want my own Bible. And we'd go to the store, and then they, you know, you're thinking about your wallet, but they're saying, hey, Dad, I want this Bible. And you're like, let me see. Oh, yeah, it looks good. Looking at the price, make sure you can afford it. And then not only do they want the Bible, then they want the case. And then they want a notebook. And they want all these things. They want their name engraved on it. And praise God for that. Amen. That, that they would want their own Bible. So make sure you get a Bible to your kids. Then challenge them to read that Bible. But they're not going to do it if you don't. So number two is a reverence for God's word. Number three, I'm going to move through these quickly. An understanding of how to listen to God's voice. This is one of those areas I... I, I used to love to visit my mamma all over these years, and especially in the last 15 to 20 years that I gave my life to the Lord. And even especially when I was on the mission field, we'd come back and visit. And I could go to her house, and I always wanted to tell her, and of course my papa before, what we were doing. And I just wanted her to go, I just wanted her to say, Oh, Blake. That's all she had to say. She didn't say anything else. I just knew when she said, Oh, Blake. That meant she was thinking about everything I just said, and it meant something, and she was proud of me. But I say that because I knew that my mamma was a woman of prayer. My mamma would spend lots of time praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, praying at her house, seeking the Lord, writing things down. And I knew that she knew the voice of God. And so I learned growing up, and I've had many other examples, but I'm talking about my mammal tonight, uh, of people that I knew that if she could hear the voice of God, then I could hear the voice of God. And I knew if she was a prayer warrior, that I could be a prayer warrior. So we have to teach our family and our kids how to listen to the Lord. Not just listen to the message. Not just listen to what you tell them to do. But get them to learn to hear God's voice for themselves. What's God? Now, you don't you know, necessarily make, let them make the final decision, but hey, what's God telling you? What are you hearing God say? You'll be amazed how most of the time they'll be on, especially the younger they are, the more in tune they are, lest they are filled with the world. Deuteronomy 32 says, Give ear, verse 1, O ears, or sorry, O heavens, and I'll speak. So if God says, If you'll listen, I'll speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain. My speech come as the dew. As rain drops on the tender earth and as showers on the grass. How many know if we'll learn to listen to the voice of God, we'll have fruit in our lives? So these are things that that your family and your kids need to be watching, that you know how to hear the voice of God. Amen? Teach them to hear it for themselves and to make their own decisions. Number four. They need to see in us, to have a godly heritage, they need to see a pattern and a lifestyle of obedience. Obedience. They need to see that we obey God's word. Again, this, is, this goes back to the things you see, we've all seen and I've seen over the years, where someone says, do as I say, not as I do. You're sitting there smoking a cigarette, telling your kid not to smoke. You're sitting there telling your kids, don't cuss when they hear you cuss all the time. 
Sitting there telling your kids, don't watch these things on TV when you watch them. How many can... Not even get too many amens right there, but I'm just giving an example. Amen? You can't, obedience means that I, I am following what I, what I believe and I'm being obedient to God's voice. And John 14, 15 says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Not enough to say, oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus said, okay, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? He's just wanting us to obey. Number five. This is really important. You need to have a faith, your walk, that conquers the trials of life. That knows how to defeat the enemy. You need to have a life and a lifestyle that knows how to defeat the enemy. Meaning that when you, when, you know, it's easy to serve God when everything's good. But your kids and the family around you, how many know if you've been trying to witness to somebody, they're not really going to believe you and everything's okay. They're going to wait to see till something wrong goes wrong. Then they're going to watch how you handle your faith. Because they're all thinking this is just a phase. And, you know, they're, they're listening to you when you're complaining or you're saying, you know, I got these bills or my family's sick or whatever. People are watching and they're waiting for us to fall. And so we have to be able to be people that can handle the trial, not only handle, but conquer the trials of life. So the question is, how do you and I handle adversity? Your, your, your kids are watching in adversity. I, I can tell you many times as a, a, as a kid growing up, watching my parents handle adversity. It doesn't mean somebody's perfect. It means that they're listening to the voice of God. They're, they're in the word. They're trusting the Lord. And they're trying their best to defeat the enemy. And so you, I remember many times watching my parents struggle financially and still tithe. Be on the verge of losing the house and still write that check out for tithe. Be in that place where things were going wrong, but they never stopped going to church, never stopped believing in the Lord. That's adversity, and you watch that. And so many people have followed the pattern that they've seen in their life, and so maybe it's been hard for you to stick, and sometimes we need to realize that, and I need to realize that, and we all need to realize that as, as believers, that a lot of times when people come into a church and get saved and leave, it's because that's all they've ever seen in their life, and they don't know how to stick. They haven't learned how to stay grounded in a place. And so that's the biggest challenge for many of you in here tonight that have been saved for a few amount of months or years is to understand that if you'll just stay the course down the road, you can live to be 92, serve God for 70 years and leave a godly heritage. But you're going to have to stay in church. You're going to have to fight through adversity. There's something to be said about somebody's life who's been doing this for a really long time, and they're still serving God. I said that about my aunt and uncle that have been here for these couple weeks. As long as I've been alive, I've seen them serve God. They're the same people today as they were 40 years ago that I know, go back 35, I guess, as much as I remember, they've always been in church. They've always been children's church, Sunday school workers. They've always been involved. They raised their kids in the Word. Their kids are serving God. There's, there's something to be said about somebody's longevity. That's why you hear me talk so much about the admiration that I have for our home church. 
Because I see all these people who've been doing this for a long, long time. I see our pastor who's been in the ministry 45 years and married almost 50. And all their children serving God. And all the people in the church that have been there for 30 and 35 years doing the same thing. People like Pastor Marshall that comes through and has been doing the same ministry for 20 years. Amen. There's something to be said about somebody who learned. How many know we've heard lots of testimonies about Pastor Marshall, the adversity he's been through. Most of us couldn't even imagine what he's been through, even in our mind. Yet he keeps serving God with a good heart and a good attitude. How do you handle adversity? Philippians 4.12 and 13 says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. That means I know how to have very little and I know how to have much. And he says, everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. So he says, I've weathered these storms. Paul's saying this with experience. He's not saying it as he's doing it. He's saying it looking back that he's made it through. Amen. And he's saying, I've been poor. I've been rich. I've been hungry. I've had plenty. I've lived in a shack. I've lived in a nice house. I've drove a car. I've walked. I've had a new set of clothes. I've had holes in my shoes. I've had everything, both sides, yet I still serve God. Whether God gives me a lot or gives me a little, whether I have much or have little, it doesn't affect my walk with God because I am leaving a legacy and and a heritage for those behind me to see that I trust God and believe in God regardless of my circumstances. I can do all things, that verse ends, through Christ who strengthens me. Number six, big one. A forgiving heart. You want to leave a godly heritage, learn to forgive. One of the greatest cancers spiritually is holding grudges. You have to learn to be a duck in God. You have to learn to have the feathers of a duck that just repels off of you. You cannot hold a grudge. And if you begin to realize that you're holding a grudge, you need to get it out. It's going to kill you and nobody else. And and especially if you're trying to do anything for God. Not even just ministry, that's a given. But if you're trying to leave a legacy and trying to leave a heritage, you're going to have to get to a place where you don't hold grudges because the grudges that you hold are not only visible, they're contagious as well. And they go right down to your kids and they're going to grow up learning to hold grudges too. It doesn't mean at the moment in the situation you don't struggle, you don't go through it, but you have to get to a place where you say, okay, I forgive, I forget, I move on. God's bigger than this. I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to go on with the next person. When you're in the ministry, you have to realize people come and people go. Like Pastor Jones says, some people bless you when they come. Some people bless you when they go. Amen. Just, just, Just understand that. God gives, God takes away. Those that are here, you love them. If they do you wrong, you forgive them. If they do you wrong again, you forgive them. I don't need to get into that part of the sermon 70 times 7. I've forgiven them five times already. Well, you haven't even got started yet on what God asked you to forgive. Amen. Don't hold a grudge. Believe that the next person coming through is going to do something great, and you're going to give them their heart too. And if they stomp it all over the ground, you just get it back, do it again. God will give you a new one. 
Don't hold grudges. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be kind to one another. I mean, we can all be better at that. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. Ezekiel says, I'll give you a heart of flesh. If you give me your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh. Let God take your heart. Let him throw it on the ground. Let him break it into pieces and let him give you a heart of flesh. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, you can have a lot of these things together, and I've seen this too. I've seen people that can read the Bible, and, and they can uh, do a lot of the things we've been going over, but they hold a grudge. People see that. The way you act or talk to certain people, they're watching. Number seven, a life of consistency. And you want to leave a godly heritage, a life of consistency. Just keep doing the same thing. Over and over. Not, not a life of consistency of insanity, but a life of consistency of godliness. It means you keep doing right over and over. For you that are here tonight, and it's Wednesday night, it's a perfect message night for this, because we're here. Don't get weary of coming on Wednesday nights. Don't get weary of coming on Sunday nights. Don't get weary of reading your Bible. Don't get weary of coming to outreach. Don't get weary of coming to discipleship. Don't get weary of, of coming to prayer meetings. That, those are the things that are a foundation to your life that are going to leave a legacy for those around you. They're going to say, man, that person was consistent in God. Now, that doesn't just go to spiritually. How many know what we are spiritually has a lot to do with how we handle things carnally and physically? We got to try to keep a job. We got to try to stay out. My friends that were here Sunday night, Reuben and Audrey, I said they're like the perfect picture of consistency. They both worked at the city for 20 years and retired. And now they're both on their second job after retirement because they don't have any kids. And they've been there for like 15 or 20 years. It's just consistent, living in the same house. I told you hadn't changed. See, it felt like I was talking to them at my wedding. Have not changed a bit. They're just, a, and they're, they serve God. They're just, they just go to church. They just love the Lord. Well, no matter where they go, what they do, they love God. Amen. They're just, a, how many want your life to be that? Just consistent, consistent, consistent. Now, again, this is hard for some of us because we were in a family that always got uprooted. We moved and moved and went and changed and did. And we leave debt here and we leave debt there. We leave the door closed over here and we open up another one. We just never stay consistent on anything. And this is not for your condemnation. This is for you to say, tonight I'm going to start and turn over a new leaf. I'm going to begin to close things. I'm going to begin to finish things. I'm going to begin to do things consistently. And one of the, sometimes people think we're crazy because we say, where are we at Wednesday night? Where were we at Sunday night? We missed you. I've seen you for a while. Have you noticed if you've been here and you've been being consistent, how consistent your walk is with God? Have you noticed the difference? But the problem is, is when you're not doing that, you don't realize it. it takes time to build that habit of saying, you know what? When the doors are open, I'm going to be in church. There's things that come up. We know that sickness and job things that are out of your control we're talking about what's in your control and you saying me as for me and my house we're going to serve god we're going to be in church amen we're going to do what's right over and over and over again and be consistent in our walk so if your kids aren't getting or your family's not getting a double 
negative, a double message. And they see, man, we go, you go to the same church? You're still there? You still go, you still go there every night? Every, every, yeah, consistency. Consistency, consistency. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, watch this, says, Therefore, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. One of the things, as I go on to the next one, and I'm almost finished, is that you have got to understand that experience will tell you is that you're looking ahead to the finish line. If my grandma could come back, or billions of other people that have gone on to be with the Lord, could come back and say, man, if you could only, it's like that song I'm going to sing on Saturday, if I, I can only imagine. We can't even imagine what it's like up there when that reward comes, when that voice says, enter in, good and faithful servant, when there's a homecoming, and, the, and you realize, man, the things I gave up were so worth it. The things I stopped doing were so worth it. And you'd hear people on the other side of the judgment seat saying, oh my gosh, I wish I'd have left that alone. Well, I'm serving my life, eternity in hell because of that. Understand that what you're doing is not in vain. You're going to reap a harvest of what you're doing. A life of consistency. This is one of the great verses on that. If you will write it down, Matthew 5, 37. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We need to be yes and no people. Someone asks you to do something, try to say yes more than no. Don't say, well, I'm a no person. And always say no. No, 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 I won't, no, I won't. Be a yes person, amen. But whether it's yes or no, let that be your answer. Yes, I can. No, I can't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. And leave it at that. Don't be that person who is back and forth. Says you're going to be there, and then you're not. Or says you won't, and show up. Amen? Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. That goes to time. That goes to all kinds of different things. Uh, whatever, it says, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So that's what Matthew says. Staying on the job, staying at church, um, being consistent. Amen? Self-control. Just a couple more. A servant spirit, number eight. A servant's spirit. How many know it's hard to serve? It's hard. But Jesus came to serve. I've always been blown away over the years of seeing a lot of ministry that wasn't God. Where you have these people who want to be served. They want to watch and tell and go and do and, and they're just all over the place. They just want everybody to do everything for them and never do anything. Yet that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. People who have bodyguards. People who are untouchable. People who are not accessible. People who are up on this humongous plane. Yet Jesus never wanted that. I'll never forget as long as I live. When the Bible said that Jesus was ministering. And some kids tried to get to Jesus. Some kids. And the disciples stopped them. And he rebuked them. And said, let those kids come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Let them come. There was no sick person. There was no wicked person. There was no religious person. There was nobody that could not get access to Jesus. 
Doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of people around him. But he was accessible. But he came to serve. He came to do. He came to wash the disciples' feet. A, 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 a person who's going to leave a legacy is somebody who doesn't, your kids are watching that, that you're one of those people that's always saying, hey, we should do it this way. Hey, we should do it that way. Why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? Why don't you try doing something? Ideas are a dime a dozen, amen? Do something. Why don't you say, hey, I'll do that. I'll paint that. I'll clean that. I'll doers. Be doers. Amen. That's servant's heart. Let nothing, Philippians 2, 3 to 5 says, be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. I was listening to some of the people, especially my wife, for example, and my brother-in-law make their statements about my grandma. That she made them, it was interesting that two two in-laws, my wife the in-law, my brother-in-law the outlaw, no, I'm just kidding, the the brother-in-law, sister and brother-in-law, both said the same thing about my mamma, that when they came into the family, my mamma treated them both like they were her grandkids. That says a lot. She loved them like they were hers. And that touched my, my wife and my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law sent a text to my dad. My, I heard my wife tell me, and I, and I know that she had a special place in my, mom's, in my wife's heart. Even my mother-in-law, all the way in Costa Rica, made a statement that she knew that she made my wife feel comfortable when she came to the States. It's, it's thinking of others. It's looking out for the interests of others. It's making other people feel comfortable. Two more. A life of character. This this teaching will go a long way. Living a life of character. Godly character. You've heard me say this before, and I talk about this a lot in men's discipleship. Character is doing, sorry, is what you do when what? When nobody is watching. That's true godly character. As human beings, we see somebody watching us and we pick up the weeds or we grab the vacuum cleaner or we do what's right as human beings. But godly character is doing what's right knowing God is watching. Whether someone's watching or not, we do it what's right all the time. And right is right and wrong is wrong. And your kids are watching. And listen, when I say these things, just take your mind back to your childhood and think about your parents, whether it was good or bad, You watched and remember now even still how your parents handled sticky or shady situations. Don't you? We don't really realize it so much until we get older and we start thinking about it. And so your kids and your family and those you're trying to lead to the Lord are watching how you handle situations that somebody else might not find out about. And they might not even say anything, but they're watching to see what you do. And they're, and they're putting it in their mind. They're not going to say nothing to you out of respect for, your, for you as a father or mother. Not, they might sometimes, Dad, why'd you do that? Or why didn't you do that? But they're watching and they see it and it gets recorded in their mind. And then they probably are going to do the same thing. Because they've seen you do it. So character is so important. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, 
in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. That's character. Amen? How many know that's work full-time? It's full-time work to think about these things, to do what's right. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But how many know when you mess something up, you also have an opportunity to fix it? You did the right, wrong thing, or sometimes it's not even the wrong thing at the moment, but you realize later, they didn't give me their change. They gave me too much change. Treating others as you want to be treated is, you get change at the drive-thru, you gave them a 20 and they give you $30 back, and you go, oh, thanks God, thanks for the blessing. And you might be able to look at it that way, but the problem is, is that poor minimum wage person working there is going to have to pay for that out of her check. You say, man, my daughter works at a place like that. I don't want someone else to have to pay that. Now, if you do the right thing, watch this, you do the right thing and go back and say, hey, you owed me $7 and you gave me $27. I just want to let you know, here it is. Later on, you'll find that God will reward you somewhere else. Because you're a person of character. That blessing will come somewhere else. Money will find you. Last and not least, be generous. Be generous. I'll never forget my grandma taking me shopping. Times of, uh, uh, sometimes times of struggle and my dad had to retire. And sometimes just because she wanted to be a blessing... They were blessed financially, and she was generous. And I would look so forward to my grandma taking me shopping because I knew she was going to buy me the stuff my mom and dad couldn't or wouldn't. (laughs) Amen? She was generous. Why do we need to be generous? This is the last one. Why do we need to be generous? Because we're selfish by nature. Let me ask you a question. And you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but you think about how many of you would like to be more, would in your mind at least, starts there, would like to be more generous, would like to give more, would like to be able to, guess what? It'll happen when you start exercising it. Once you start letting it go and you don't hold so much, see, we're either givers or we're takers. And if you're a taker, that's okay, but you can change. Don't stay a taker. Get to a place where you begin to give. And say, God, I'm not going to just be a taker. I'm not just going to be looking for what people give me anymore. I'm going to try to look for situations where I can give. And and, and it don't have to be a lot, but just give. Sometimes yourself. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a compliment. Thinking about somebody else. Get to a place where you get joy in giving more than you get joy in receiving. I promise you can get to that place. That you are more happy. And you know, listen, when your kids is not that way. Kids are not that way in general, most of the time. They're gimme, 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 gimme. I only got 17 presents, Mom, for Christmas. Are you kidding me? My sister got 18. Right? That's what we do as kids. It's only, an, only one game for the Xbox, Mom. Come on, how many get what I'm saying? We're takers. By, by selfish creation and carnality, we're selfish. We're takers. Be a generous giver. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says, Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. That's good. Ready to give, willing to share. 
storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Amen. Musicians, you can come tonight. This is a good discipleship message. And I'm talking off the example of watching this great woman of God in my life all these years and saying, God, I want to keep the torch going. My parents have taken it. They've handed it to me. I'm handing it to my daughters. I've seen a lot of these traits that I'm talking about come out in them. And I know that by faith, God, Jesus tarries, they're going to give it to their kids. And it's just going to keep on and on and on. And like I said in the very beginning, you might, I said the musicians could come, right? Oh, they're going to get Destiny. They're not in here. Sorry. Just make sure I said it. Like, no one's coming. I'll play. No. No. Be the shortest altar call ever. Some of you say, play. How many got something out of these things? How many want to leave a godly heritage tonight? It takes choices. It takes choices, church. We got we to gotta think about the future. I know that we a lot of times, and I'm guilty of it too, we live for today. But all these years later, we get to a place where we say, God, help me leave something to somebody else. Now, as I've read these things, and you went over them, and you wrote them down, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I know some of these areas pricked you. And not in a bad way. You said, man, God, I am, I'm struggling there. I, I don't have that down yet. And, and you hopefully realized that a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with how you were raised. That's what's so awesome about the Word of God. You, I don't think... I don't think Timothy just automatically grabbed that. He had to watch his grandma. He had to watch his mom. Then he had to watch Paul. You'll be discipled if you'll watch and you want to be discipled. You can only be discipled. I tell guys all the time when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship with men, I tell them, you can only be as discipled as you choose to be. Can't make you be discipled. You as a believer can't. God's not going to make you be a disciple. He's not going to make you grow. But if you desire to grow, he will grow you. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these great components to leaving a godly heritage. Lord, I honor the life of my grandma tonight by sharing these things that this would be passed down yet again, Father. I thank you for what I've been taught my in my life, Lord. And I thank you that you've allowed me by your grace to make good decisions. Not perfect, not always, but God in general, I thank you that you've taught me to work on these areas. And I ask you to help me with these areas tonight. Any of these areas I struggle in, in my own personal walk, God, I ask you to help me with them. So that I can leave a godly heritage to my family tonight, Father. I ask you to help everybody here. I know that there's a deep desire in this place to serve you. I know there's a deep desire in this place to leave a godly heritage. Lord, to be consistent, to be people of character, to be servants. Lord, to think more of others than we think of ourselves. Help us tonight, God. Let fruit come out of this. Let us realize, God, that those everyday decisions to come to church, even when we're tired, even when we don't feel good, even when we got to drive a long distance, even when we had a bad day, Lord, we get to church and every time we come, even though we don't feel like it sometimes, we realize after service, we've laid another brick on the foundation of serving God. 
My kids have watched. Think about that tonight. Your kids, your family, your friends are watching when you stay home because you're tired. When you don't read your Bible because you're watching TV instead or you go somewhere else instead of being yes, it's being a per, yes person. I, I'll be there and then you don't come. Your kids are watching everything. Let's be people tonight of heritage. Let's leave something for those behind. Tonight as you're here and your heads are bowed, how many all over this place would say I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior tonight? I'm not saved. I've never given him lordship. Maybe you're young here. Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. It's always amazing how long someone can come to church and never make that decision personally. We teach you here you cannot get to heaven on the decisions of your family. You've got to make it for yourself. How many can say, Pastor, before we move on, I'm not saved tonight. Just put your hand up and put it down. I want to pray for you all over this place, front to back and side to side. I'm not ready. I don't know Jesus. Tonight as we close, we open up the altar. Remember, it's Wednesday night. It's a good night to charge up them batteries spiritually. It's a good night to say, God, as I listen to this message, I've failed in some areas. I've been cheating. I've been cutting corners. Tonight, I'm going to make some decisions. I'm going to get things right. I'm going to change. I'm going to begin to leave a godly heritage. Some of you are here and you're saying, man, my parents haven't left me anything. That's a sad thing, but it's true with many. But you say, I'm going to change that. I'm going to leave something to my family. I'm going to leave something to my kids. Many times we say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start next week. God says, start tonight. There's got to be one or two of those things on that list you could start tonight. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit tonight has been dealing with you on one of those things that I talked about before you even came and that confirmation's there and now God says, hey, go. You can't, you can't do all 10 tonight. You can't get it all right in one night. But you can make a decision that you're going to begin to work on. Godly heritage and legacy, and 50 years of marriage and 90 years of life and 70 years of serving God and all those different things don't happen overnight. They happen one decision after another, after another, after another and when that bad decision is made they ask for forgiveness and they get back up and they move forward 